a long time since I've heard that song. Can't help notice some similarity between what we'll talk about this morning. It gives off a list of all the things that you won't experience in heaven, which in turn means that those are things we do experience on earth. If you would this morning, if you would turn to Romans chapter 8. going to begin reading in verse uh, 26 this morning and read through the end of the chapter. And if you are able, if you would stand. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say these things? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, help us to come to your word this morning with open minds, with open hearts, prepared to receive it. Lord, we pray your spirit would work in us. Lord, we pray that we would use these things that you give us for real life. That we would take them away from here. That we would step outside of the door and be able to call them to mind. That we would step into our jobs, into our lives, and be able to meditate on them. Help us not forget, Lord, Father, we pray that you would plague us with your word. That it would be continually rolling around inside of our heads. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.
How many of you guys remember some stuff from English class? Tyler says no, but he does. He still speaks it. You know the difference between a noun and a pronoun, right? What does a pronoun do? I know the... Gives possession? Tell, tell me what it does, Shepard. A noun is a person, place, thing. That's right. And a pronoun takes the place of what? To avoid repetition. But there's no uh, uh, rule for repetition on pronouns, I don't guess. Huh? Well, the reason why I say that is this passage that we read this morning is full of repetitive pronouns. The word he is repeated over and over and over and over and over. And I know that from our Bible intensives and stuff, we don't give a whole lot of weight to pronouns. But here, I don't think you can help it. Because it is so frequent. So what happened this last week? We're making history, right? So the biggest military mobilization since World War II in Europe took place. You have Russia going across the border into the Ukraine claiming that it is retaking back the Soviet Union and that Ukraine never really should have been separated from Russia. Now, it's, you know, some have said, and and I think it was even Trump that said that this is genius how Vladimir Putin's doing this. And we shouldn't always look at things in terms of strategy. Uh, Actually, what Vladimir Putin is doing is heinous. He is taking over a sovereign nation by force. But these things have happened throughout history. They have happened on this very continent. What are we talking about? How did the United States obtain everything that is west of the Mississippi? Some of it it bought from other nations who laid claim to it. But how did they actually occupy it? You remember something called the Trail of Tears? Where the Indian nations were led to reservations and other places that the government had prepared for them. So that we could um, stabilize and occupy and use the United States. Basically so we could take it. Now that's kind of a far cry from Thanksgiving stories, right? That's kind of a far cry from pilgrims who were starving being taught how to plant corn. About two different people coming together around one table and sharing a meal. Yet, this seems to be the way the world has worked. 
It's the way Rome did it. It's the way Alexander the Great done it. It is the way Napoleon Bonaparte done it. Is they took things that they wanted, and if they were able, they took them by force. Now, what do we do as Christians in a day where people are taking things by force? My Bible titled this section of Romans 8 as Our Victory in Christ. If you'll remember back when Isaiah is writing down the things that God has showed him, how he calls in a bird of prey from the east. He made sure that we understood the pronoun that he was talking about God. In this passage, that pronoun is used repetitively so we would understand to whom we owe our gratitude and to whom we should look for our hope. He who is God. It starts off, and in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Think about your prayers. Things you're asked to pray for, things you do pray for. Do we mutter words and just say them flippantly and so we'll get it out of our way and so we can verify with the text and we don't feel guilty later that we actually prayed for the person or the thing or whatever that was asked for us to pray for. We say we dinner due diligence. I met a man one time, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing, that if you ask him to pray for you, he's going to stop what he was doing right there, and he's going to pray for you right then. Because he didn't want to get down the road later and forget, and he wanted to actually do what you asked him to do. But here, it says if it were not for the Spirit of God, we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know how to ask. We don't even know how to address God rightly. And the question is, do we address God rightly? You remember when the disciples asked the Lord, teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive, and <coughs> forgive us this day our daily bread. And then I went blank. If I was doing it on one knee with her shoulder pads, I could finish it off. That was the prayer we prayed after football games and on Wednesdays during football practice. Were we praying anything? Maybe we said those words. We even had a guy that was elected to stand in front of us. But did it mean anything? Notice here that God intercedes for our prayers. Verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice the pronouns. He, his. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who have been called according to his purpose. And then you think about what's happening in the Ukraine right now. And what are believers doing? Some still meeting, praying, assembling, some fighting, some dying. Then we go back to the scripture like, well, God causes all things to work together for good. And we think good is our idea of good. Like beneficial. We say our life is going good. We don't mean that we have lost both of our legs and that we're suffering from a heart attack currently. We really intend to say that everything's going okay. Everything's fine. And we forget... That God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God for those who have been called according to his purpose. Remember, that's what Job's great revelation was. That it wasn't about the things he had or had not done that God had caused all these things to come upon him. But it's that so God's name would be glorified. So they would understand who God was. And in light of who God was, Job discovered that he couldn't open his mouth, not an inch, in complaint. Now there are people actually living that out. This week. Here we live pretty sheltered. We live kind of on an island. We have oceans on either side. The people below us are too poor to conquer us. The people above us are too nice. But from within our own borders, we have overthrown ourselves. We are weak. We are pampered. And for the most part, we are cowards. And I'm not talking about not sending people to the Ukraine. Russia. I'm talking about we don't stand up for truth. We don't stand up for right and wrong. We have succumbed like a, 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 a single mother with three children in the cereal aisle to the temper tantrums being thrown in the middle of the floor over Fruit Loops. And we justify it by saying, well, that's just what they like and that's how they express themselves.
We have forgotten God. We have churches everywhere. I didn't say we don't have church. We have churches on every street corner in the town that we live in. In every rural area, there's multiples. If someone wanted to, they could just about walk to a church that has a cross, that has a Bible, that has something in it, and if they wanted to, they could worship there. The trouble is, we don't even bother half the time to drive across the street, much less miles, to go to the church. We don't bother to have to inconvenience ourselves with losing a little bit of sleep, much less possibly our lives, in order to go to church. But God knows all this. The greatest fear I have is somehow God's judgment on me is brought on myself by myself. The apathy, laziness, dullness, refusal to think, refusal to worship, refusal to pray, refusal to seek God, refusal to accept God for who God says he is, is God's judgment on me. Because I fear that's God's judgment on our nation. We're all about the red, white, and blue. We're all about saying the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. We're all about singing the National Anthem. We're all about prayer as long as we're willing to fight for it and as long as it's before the football game. But all these things happen surrounded by those same things. But today, the message is this. God knows. I don't want you to think that the plan is going to ride. I don't want you to think that somehow God has lost control and the forces of evil are taking over. They're winning, he's losing, and by some stretch of the imagination, we convince ourselves sometimes that whether the war to be won or lost is in the hands of us. And we forget that the Bible tells us that God has already conquered. And that Jesus is king, ruling currently. Verse 30 says, In whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Does that mean that you won't die? Does that mean that your ailment will be cured? Does that mean that you won't experience hardship? 
Absolutely not. What it does mean is that you recognize that within all these things, God is to be glorified. Verse 32 gives us the reason why. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The first question this morning is, are you in Christ? Are you? Is this a question you're scared to answer? Is this a question that you're scared to question? Do you ask or do you reassure yourself over and over again that I am in Christ? It's kind of like Wiley Coyote whenever he walks over the edge of the ledge and he hovers there for a minute. And as long as he doesn't look down, he doesn't fall. That's how we treat salvation sometimes. A lot of times we give Peter a lot of flack. I don't know how many sermons I've heard off of Peter having the faith to get out of the boat, but not the faith to keep his eyes on Christ. If we somehow are able to do what Peter was not able to do whenever he lived in the presence of our Lord, that we keep our eyes on Christ, walking on water is the least of the miracles that we could perform. But Peter's story teaches us something a little bit different, that whenever we do fall, because we will, Christ is the one who picks us up. That you're not able to keep your eyes focused. But you're not able to be lost if you're his. So when we ask the question, are you in Christ? What I mean is, do you have faith that no matter what, and do you have the evidence of the change of life, do you have the assurance of the scripture, and do you have the hope in eternity, that what God has said he would do in Jesus Christ, he will accomplish. And do you have the realization this morning that if you were to wake up in hell, there is no charge that you could bring against God? No complaint you can make. No pledge that you could say you honored. There will be no trial. There will be no jury. There will be no lawyers. There may be some in hell. But there will be nothing you can appeal to other than God has done what is right.
How do you know you're in Christ? You believe Him. Not you. You believe Him. You trust Him. You rest in Him. All the He's that we read. All the His's. Those are evidence that all we can do is trust in the Lord. And our continued trust in the Lord and not ourselves. If brought to full fruition, will bring about the fruit of a changed life. And it will persevere to the end. And not fizzle after the first. There should be no hope in a funeral preach because a man gave some profession when he was eight years old and then lived the life of a hoodlum thereafter. If that's your hope, if that's what you're hoping for, You're a child of Satan and you need Christ. And don't ask whoever it is to preach the funeral, to preach this man into heaven because he said what he said when he was a small child. And then lived however he wanted to afterward. He didn't believe God because he didn't believe the promises of Christ because those promises come with commands. But after all, this is God's work that he does in us, not our own. For us to say that we could will ourselves into heaven is for us to say that we could will ourselves to swim the Mississippi River backwards. An impossible feat, to say the least. Verse 35 comes with hope. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine, or nakedness or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. There is no physical pain, distress, tribulation, trouble, condition that if you are in Christ can separate you from him. There's no amount of poverty. There's no amount of riches. There's no amount of beatings. There is no amount of lack of clothing, no amount of exposure that can separate you from the love of God. Notice he says that you won't, he does not say that you won't have these things happen. He says these things won't separate you from him. These things won't break you away. These things won't define you. He says if you are in Christ that they can't.
He says, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now comes the second level. No condition. Next, no creation. For I am convinced that neither life, nor neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No created thing. That means that preacher you got mad at 20 years ago that you say you haven't been back to the church house because it's full of hypocrites is hogwash. The problem is not them. The problem is you. That situation you found yourself in with the other fellow so-called believer that created an argument, that split a church, that you say has given you a bitter taste in your mouth about church. Use finger quotes there. Is hogwash. That there is no created thing that will separate you from the love of God. There's nothing that has been made. There's no amount of power. There is no amount of authority. There is no amount of heavenliness as far as angels can't separate you from the love of God. There's no amount of things in the future. There's no amount of things in the past. There's no amount of demons. There is no amount of Satan that can separate you from the love of Christ if you're in Christ. None. There's no amount of hurt feelings. There's no amount of war, of gas prices, of sleep, or any other thing that we use as an excuse that can separate us from the love of God. If you don't believe that, you can watch... The stories of those who are dying who are in Christ on Facebook now. They post them as testimonies. How they lie in their beds and they think about the promises of Christ as they lie there in pain. How medications or diseases cause them where they can't see. I don't know if you guys know who Joni Erickson Tata is. She broke her neck. And finally she got to where she wanted to read her Bible. And they rigged up a thing to sit in front of her. And all she could do is sit in a chair every day in front of the Bible. And they put a spoon in her mouth so she could turn the pages. a lot of us is if we have the least little inconvenience it'll be the first thing that we get rid of is the Lord's work or if we have some type of ailment or disability the first thing that goes is the ability 
to commune with the saints. Or the ability to have hope in God or to read his word or to dwell on things. Listen, today we live in a day, in a time to where we have no excuse that if you cannot read, you can listen. Because everything that is in print is on audio. And if you cannot hear, you can read. If you cannot do neither, there's animation, there's movies. There's nothing that limits the word of God. Except the hardness of your heart. If you're not changed by the spirit. If that hasn't happened, forget everything I said and pray that God changes you. If you have not found reason to repent, if you have not found reason to give yourself over to Christ, whatever that may be, if you have not found reason to fall headlong at the foot of the cross, or if simply it gets in the way of other things, Your prayer this morning that I hope the Holy Spirit intercedes for needs to be that God would change you. If that hasn't happened, none of this other matters. If that hasn't happened... You can lay hold to none of these promises. None of this stuff is going to mean anything. None of it's going to change who you are. You might become moral. But then again, if you go the way of the world, you see morality changes. What happens whenever we try to Secularize, which secularism is a myth, by the way. There's no such thing. But we make up words all the time. What happens whenever we try to make a neutral society? I tell my children all the time that delayed obedience is disobedience. There's no such thing as neutrality. You either serve God or you don't. You either serve Christ or you don't. There is no way to present a neutral case for anything because at the end of it, all you're depending on is tradition and what the last generation defined as what was moral. And you see that's subjective to how you feel now because they weren't you. The hope in Christ is that no matter what, all these things given... Angels, powers, principalities, governments, wars, nakedness, tribulation, sorrow. None of these things can separate you from the love of God, including yourself.
How many times do we hear of people who walked away from the faith? In the South, we're more polite than that. We don't say they walked away from the faith. We say they're just not churchgoers. Everyone knows what to say when asked the right questions. We teach them that in vacation Bible schools across the area. We teach them what to say, but they don't say anything of it from a changed heart. Churches quit discipline because it hurts the numbers and people get upset. And then we go back and read the Apostle Paul where he says, give him over to Satan so that he might return. This morning I wanted to do, I didn't do 2 Corinthians because I messed around and read Romans 8 again. And the prayer for the Christians that are in the Ukraine. How do we pray for them? We want to pray that they won't die. That's the human side of us. We want to pray that their needs are met because we would hope that someone would pray those things for us if we were in their situation. But most of all, I would say that we need to pray that God would hold them fast no matter what. They would hold them close to himself. And no matter what's happening, no matter what they experience, and trust me, there's traumatic instances happening right now, I'm sure, that God would hold them fast. What we must understand about the Bible is it is a book that is riddled with war. With death, with fighting, with conquering, and all of it, God has used to accomplish His purpose. My prayer is today that those who are experiencing war and who are about to experience war that they would be held fast by the word of God. By the spirit of God, may he guide their prayers. May they be according to his will. Someone got angry one time with me because I said something about prayer and He said, you ever know anyone that's prayers seem to always be answered? I said, yes, those are those who pray according to God's will. It's not because I ask that God answers. It's because it is his promise that if it is my prayer according to his will, that it has already been answered. That's where we have faith in the Holy Spirit because the Bible says we don't know how to pray. 
And we pray that he gives us the words to say. He also instructs our doctrine of the Trinity that the Spirit knows what the will of the Father is. I pray this morning that we can see a full scope of God in everything that we do. In salvation, in life, in prosperity, in war. And we can trust Him. The song um, we sang just before uh, the preaching service. No sorrow there, no burdens to bear, no tears to dim the eye, no parting over there. All will be peace forevermore. What a day that will be. I can only imagine how some will appreciate the peace of that day more than others. Life is full of conflict, some of it petty, some of it real. It's also good to understand when we look at the past, we're to learn from it. When we look at what has happened, it should instruct us in what will happen next time. Just like a dog returns to his vomit, so the sinfulness of men. As the musicians come this morning, I pray that everyone here is in Christ. I pray that everyone here has hope beyond your jobs hope beyond your bank accounts I pray that we have hope beyond prosperity beyond cars beyond food I read a thing on Facebook this week. A guy shared, a, I think it was a D.A. Carson devotional. Um, talking about he had to go sometimes two to three days without food. But the Lord always provided. My children go two to three hours and they think we're starving them. But I pray that God's grace would abound if we ever had to. That he would comfort.